Welcome everyone to the Medspiration Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nav Badesha, and this is episode number four with Devon Franklin. According to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, not only is suicide the 10th leading cause of death in the United States, but men in the U.S. commit suicide three and a half times more often than women. Statistics like this are the reason why mental health workers all over the world are trying to bring awareness to men's mental health. That's why in today's episode, I'm sitting down with an individual who is passionate about helping people, and he believes his research has helped him to better understand the nature of a man. Devon just published a book which is called The Truth About Men. His team sent me a copy of his book before its release, and I had the opportunity to read it in its entirety before this interview. After reading it, I realized this may have been one of the best books that I've read to date. We discussed the power of understanding our sexuality, how to handle guilt and shame, the effects of pornography and masturbation, why violence and abuse can occur, emotional intelligence, men's roles as leaders, as well as the keys to having a healthy relationship with our female counterparts. Guys, this was one of my favorite interviews. Devon and I had the honor of opening up and really being vulnerable throughout this entire podcast. I share details about my personal life that I've never shared before, and so does he. This is definitely one that you guys have to listen to all the way through, and I really can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about it. For those of you that are hearing about Devon Franklin for the first time, He's done work all over the world. He's been on Oprah many times, and he's married to award-winning actress Megan Good. And he's also one of the youngest executives in Hollywood history. Will Smith says that in the 20 years he's known Devon, he's lived his life the same way he makes his movies, with commitment, humility, and a work ethic that demands respect. Devon's a New York Times bestselling author, and he's also an international speaker and spiritual success coach. To me, the most impressive thing about this man is how he uses his personal faith as an advantage to influence culture in a positive way, something that our mind, body, spirit, family will really vibe out with. Be sure to let us know what you think. You can send us a message through Instagram or tag Medspiration in your stories while also tagging your friends. Let us know that you're out there and that you're listening. And a special thank you to our sponsor today, Caribbean Medical University. Are you interested in becoming a practicing medical doctor in the United States? CMU is a fully accredited medical school that offers you an incredible opportunity to study abroad in one of the most beautiful Caribbean islands and then transition to the United States for your hospital training. I personally know some great resident physicians here in the Chicago area who went to CMU and loved the experience. Caribbean Medical University has partnered with Medspiration to bring you a once-in-a-lifetime discount. You can visit cmumed.org forward slash medspiration and enter the discount code MDSPR to have your entire application fee waived. That's a $75 value. Apply today and see if medicine is in your future. And without further ado, let the Medspiration begin. Why do I find it so hard to love you When I know in my heart that I want to 
think there's nothing in the world more beautiful than falling in love. I've been messing around but falling in love for the right reasons, falling in love for the right purpose, falling in love, falling in love. What I've always tried my best to do, whether on television or through film, is to say something about how men and women really behave, to say how we experience shame, how we love and how we rage, how we fail, how we retreat, persevere, and how we overcome. Yeah, I'll fuck up a good thing if you let me. Let me alone, Becky. A man who don't take care of his family can't be rich. But it's not just a story affecting the entertainment industry. It's one that transcends any culture, geography, race, religion, politics, or workplace. It's now 2019. We're blessed to be here. Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey, that was so last year. This year we got R. Kelly and the Gillette commercial. The FBI is investigating R. Kelly. Is this the best a man can get? I truly believe you wrote this book as a cure to all the things that are occurring right now. Oh man, no, listen, thank you. And I'm so grateful for your feedback, man. This book is a labor of love and I didn't want to write the book. I wrote the book because it was something that I was compelled to do. And I really wanted to talk about this from a solution oriented standpoint. There's so much talk about the problem, but not enough talk about the solution. What do we do about it? I wanted to do that without pointing fingers, but also starting with looking in the mirror. And if I don't look in the mirror, if I don't own me and I don't say, hey, how can I do a better job and how can I be honest about what I'm going through, then how can I help anybody else? So uh, I endeavor to do that, open up my heart. Hey, I'm trying to be transparent as I can. And hopefully that'll be uh, helpful to others. Bullying. The Me Too movement against sexual harassment. I need you to know that the excellence in you is more powerful than the hate in the world. So I challenge you right now to sow seeds of excellence into the soil of your potential and water it every day until it grows into the tree of your destiny that has been promised to you before the foundation of this earth. And the last thing I will say to you is this, that there is no limit to what you can do and what you can become when you allow excellence to be the wind beneath your wings. I will be emotionally available if I invited you over. I stew over. What if you over my shit? Devon Franklin, welcome to the Medspiration podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to be having a conversation with a man who's a New York Times bestselling author, an international speaker, a preacher, and an award-winning Hollywood producer. His work has inspired me to become a better man, and I've had the honor of reading two of his books now, which first included The Weight, which was co-authored with his wife, Megan Good, and his newest and latest work, The Truth About Men. Devon, I want to start off by thanking your team for sending me a copy of your book before it hits shelves on February 5th. All of my free time this week was spent reading the book, and... Wow. You know, I had some life-changing conversations with my fiance, so I have you to thank for that. You know, without further ado, I do want you to introduce yourself to our audience out there. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, you know, I'm Devon Franklin. Uh, right now I'm in my office in Los Angeles, California. Um, I guess you could say my day job is I'm a producer, so I'm here on the 20th Century Fox lot. Uh, if I could turn my computer around, you'd see all of L.A., and you'd see the Fox lot uh, below. I'm actually in the building where they shot Die Hard, believe it or not. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I'm also committed to using the power of inspiration, power of entertainment to inspire and, and, and uplift people. I've been entertainment since I was 18 years old. I'm 40 years old now, so over 20 years. I worked on all the movies from, you know, Heaven is for Real and Pursuit of Happiness and Hancock wow. and so many other films. And, uh, you know, I also started writing books about seven years ago because I felt like it wasn't enough just to produce films. I wanted to to help others, you know, in their career journey, their life journey, their faith journey. And uh, from Oakland, California, is, uh, you know, from the home, home of the Warriors, Golden State Warriors and Oakland Raiders. And, um, you know, it's just something that I, I've always been proud of. All my, my mother's up there, all my family's up there. And, uh, you know, I knew I wanted to be in Hollywood when I was, you know, a young kid. So it's a blessing now to be doing it, but also to be doing it from a vantage point of uh, how do we use this industry to create positive change, uh, you know, in the world. And I've been married for seven years. As you mentioned earlier, I wrote a book with my incredible wife, uh, Megan, called The Weight. And, uh, you know, it's a blessing that uh, this year will be our seventh year. And uh, in the next couple of years, we'll be talking about having children. Congratulations, my brother. That is awesome. Thank you. With that said, uh, my intention today is to lay it all on the line. You know, we're going to be dissecting your book, The Truth About Men, connecting it to the latest in medical science and evidence-based medicine. So we'll be hitting all the topics people usually don't discuss when it comes to men. That includes sexuality, how to handle guilt, shame, pornography, masturbation, abuse, emotional intelligence, men's roles as leaders, keys to having a healthy relationship with our female counterparts. So before we hop into things, it took some pretty incredible divine intervention for us to meet today. And I want to share with you my story and what it took for our worlds to collide. Yeah, man, let's rock and roll. All right, let's do it. So I grew up in a generation where the man was somebody who could scoop the most honeys, right? It was, it, he was considered the alpha male. And, you know, NBA basketball star J.R. Smith who you know pretty well being a Warriors fan. Uh, he, he said famously in his high school yearbook, get chicks or die trying. And coming up in that sort of environment, I instantly learned how to fit in. You know, I realized if I could pull the baddest chick in the club, I'd leave a legacy and I'd be considered smooth. You know, so when people called me a player, I thought that was a great thing. I felt cool. I felt accepted. And so this kind of connects to a part in your book where you discuss Albert Rocker, where he talks about insights from a reformed player. So basically, I thought I was living my best life at the time. I was being celebrated. I felt accepted. But inside, man, something didn't feel right. Outside, I couldn't hang on to relationships. You know, multiple times I fell in love. I sabotaged my own relationships. My lack of discipline led me to lie, to cheat. I became controlling and manipulative. These aren't of my character. And I felt helpless at the time. So... It took me a long time to realize that a lot of that came from my childhood issues and my issues with confidence and love. A lot of that was able to be reversed when I started addressing those things. So flash forward today, I stand before you, I've been celibate for more than four years. Oh, man. So good, yeah. man. That's awesome. I love it, man. Well, I'm praying for you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I haven't actually shared that information with anybody in the public before. But you're one of my greatest inspirations, so what better time to tell the world that than to share it with you? I began using all of my free time, which used to be used chasing women, to being creative, to being a vessel to help the world through Medspiration. And that helped me do so much in my life, and a lot of that came from you, you know? And that's where, for our worlds to collide today, man, it's, it's like a dream come true, and that's where 
Yo, we enter your newest and latest work, The Truth About Men. I want to start at the very beginning of your book. You said you were raised in Oakland by your mom and your grandma and her seven sisters, uh, yes. which is your great aunts, which is yes. surrounded by many wonderful women. You mentioned that you spent so much of your time with them and you saw firsthand how men caused them pain in their lives, primarily due to infidelity. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, you know, I mean, it was a blessing to be raised by my mother and, uh, you know, my, my great aunts and my grandmother. And uh, as a result of that, you know, I mean, I was privy to just so many conversations and so much perspective on men, even before I understood what it meant to be a man. Because, uh, you know, I mean, we were having these conversations, uh, you know, when I was nine and 10 years old. And so, so much of it was, you know, many of them had been married multiple times. And so getting, a, you know, an insight into, you know, well, what led to divorce and why were they divorced and what happened with, you know, men in their lives. And so much of it I reveal in the book. I also, you know, I'm pretty candid about finding out that my father cheated on my mother, which just blew me away. It still it still blows me away to, to know that. And so, so much of what I learned in, from them was, was to see like, wow, you know, here are women that are very resilient. They're very strong, yet they're still hurt. And also, they also articulated that there was very little conversation in their family that prepared them to know how to deal with men, know how to deal with love, know how to deal with relationships. And so one of the things that was one of the motivating factors was, you know, I don't want women to be in the dark anymore. You know, unless I know I'm one man and, and as men, we don't like our secrets told. So this isn't so much an expose as it is uh, a challenge, one to men, hey, we got to do our work. And two, because seeing so much of that hurt, you know, in the eyes of the women in my life, I really felt like I want to write a book to give women the 411. I want to write a book for women to know, yo, here's what's up. Here's what you're dealing with. So that even if a man chooses not to do their work, you now have information that can help you better navigate your dealings, which hopefully can mitigate the pain that you are experiencing. And in situations where you have a great relationship or a great interaction with men, it can take it to the next level because now you know more. And with that knowledge, there's incredible power. Amen, man. You, you said that it's been recited to you like a fundamental law in the universe. All men cheat. Right. Men can't be faithful. Men can't keep it in their pants. They love power. They're greedy, right? Those are things we yeah. hear all the time, you all know? Time. All the time. And, and we hear it. And I'm telling you, like growing up, I mean, I would ask that question. Even now, if I ask my aunts the question, <sighs> yo, can men be faithful? They're like, no. 99% of all men cheat. Even after knowing you now? Even after knowing me. Even after knowing me. And, and, and what blew my mind was even when you look at the pop culture. Yeah. You know, I mean, not even just pop culture. We look at history. You know, when you look at the men that have had a hard time remaining faithful. You know, the, some of the greatest men in the world have struggled with this issue. They could conquer countries. They could, you know, conquer social justice issues. But conquering self was a challenge. And so for me... You know, I wanted to approach it with humility. I don't approach it from a stand, standpoint of knowing it all. I have not mastered this. I work on it every day. And it requires no ego and no pride because it's very easy to point the finger at those men that have not been faithful and say, how could you? However, the moment I point the finger, you can count the days from which I'm going to fall to. So for me, it's not a matter of excusing that behavior because there's no excuse for it, but it's also being sensitive to, well, how could it happen? And what are the things in my life that could lead that to happen too? And so even though they would recite that as a law, 
I did not, and I still don't look at it with contempt for those that have done it or, or do it because I, I don't want to do that. I feel like too often as men, we, we put each other down and we talk bad about each other. And I'm like, yo, if you're cheating on your wife or your girlfriend, should you stop? Yes. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and, and say, oh, you're a terrible person. No, I want to get to the root of it. Well, why are you doing that? And what can change that behavior? And that's why I wrote the book. There it is, man. Psychiatrists have been battling with that for ages, trying to figure that out. You know, that's why I felt like you did such well research. Like you researched yourself well writing this book because, man, you hit every angle. That made me so happy. One of the biggest themes in your book is a man's struggle between love and lust, right? So can you explain that to our audience? Sure. I believe that this is the biggest struggle for men. I think this is the problem that nobody is talking about. Men have a lust problem. Now I define lust as a selfish impulse for financial, sexual, personal, or professional gain by any means necessary, no matter how detrimental the means. So when you look at, you know, the men that we've seen in the culture, um, you know, how could they be men that have dominated their professional fields, but have failed personally? because I believe that they have been subject to lust, where they allow those impulses and the fulfillment of those impulses to take precedent over everything else. So in the book, The Truth About Men, I call lust the dog. I use this analogy of dog training in order to give us a mental framework on how to navigate this issue. So lust is the dog. Lust is selfish. It wants what it wants whenever it wants it. However, I believe men also have love in them, and I call love the master. Uh, love of self, love of God, love of the woman uh, in our life, love of family, love of community, love is selfless. When we put selflessness over selfishness, when we master the dog, when we put love over lust, we can become the men we were created to be. However, when we allow lust to run our life, we then find ourselves behaving like an untrained dog. No discipline, no restraint, only wanting pleasure for pleasure's sake putting our needs above everyone else's needs. And this is why we're seeing so many challenges. So I believe the the antidote, the solution is learning to master the dog, learning to put selflessness in place of selfishness, sacrifice over our own desires. And when we do that, we then begin to be the men we were created to be through mastering the dog. Amen. After this, I wanted to tell you, I think you should get an honorary veterinarian license because... I was like, man, I hope he finds that joke funny because I was sitting in the library reading it. And I was like, dude, like this guy deserves this. So I did want to connect some neuroscience uh, to Thank your you. definition, right? Because believe it or not, we can actually anatomically identify with regions in the brain where the dog or lust comes from and the region where the love or master comes from, right? So have you heard of the limbic system? Yes. Yeah. So inside the limbic system is something called the amygdala, right? It's a complex system of nerves and networks in the brain. It controls basic emotions like fear, pleasure, anger, and drives like hunger, sex, dominance, and care for offspring, right? It's located around this region. So when we talk about initial impulses with our feelings, our diet, fight or flight, and sex, or when you talk about Sigmund Freud's description of the id, The brain processes these urges here first. After the brain processes it there, 
we can actually talk about a region in the brain that can override those primitive desires and instincts. And that's actually located right behind your forehead. It's called the prefrontal cortex, and it's the most recently evolved portion of the brain in humans. So its ability to override our primitive instincts, it's proven that it begins to become more effective the more we use it. In men over the age of 25, it's been proven that we get more mature in our decision-making because we start using our frontal cortex more. So when you start talking about training the master or training ourselves, what's essentially happening is exercising our willpower and self-control, it strengthens our frontal cortex and its ability to override those primitive instincts, right? And you talk about it in the book, it's like a muscle. The more you do it, the yeah. better you get at it. And that that ties into something we always talk about in meditation, neuroplasticity. The brain's constantly changing due to experience. So when we decide to intentionally change those habits and practice restraint, delayed gratification, it'll work. It's scientifically proven, right? So when I saw the, the way you broke things down, I was like, I wonder if this guy even knows that this is like real. This is scientifically real, you know? So I, I didn't know all the neuroscience behind it, but I'm so glad that there is that, uh, there is that support that uh, takes it even to another level. Yeah, definitely. Next, I wanted to discuss something that you mentioned in the book regarding a psychologist named Dr. Gary Jantz. So he said, the very temptation we men entertain for the sake of strengthening our perceived manhood only serve as the most dangerous of distractions. He says temptation can fill a void, but only for the short term. This set a stage for chronic compulsions and trap good men in vicious cycles of destructive behaviors. What can you tell us about this vicious cycle? Yeah, you know, because the vicious cycle is that, okay, so as a man, we try to fit in and I talk about, you know, the box that men are told to live in, this box of manhood, you know, don't cry, toughen up, you know, be the provider, uh, all of those things that we're taught as men, none of us as men fulfill those things uh, all of them. So many of us deal with a level of brokenness. But where the temptation comes in is that we're tempted to do everything we can to fit in the box. To the point you brought up earlier about being a reformed player, you know, part of those temptations are, oh, let me go get as many women as I can. Let me sleep with as many women as I can. Why? Because if I can do that, then I'll get the validation, right? Yeah. So we tempt ourselves in a way that is very dangerous. Why? Because we expose ourselves to emotional, uh, physical, and sometimes even financial harm. For anybody that's a player, if you just step back and say, how much time is this causing me? Right? There was a minister that I was listening to uh, a while back, and he was trying to take his ministry to another level. And one of the things that he, he was with a consultant, the consultant said, okay, how much money are you taking home a year? And I think that minister said, you know, about a million dollars. And so that consultant said, okay, how much time uh, are you on vacation? And it was about two weeks. So for, so his working time was 50 weeks. So the consultant said, okay, based upon 50 weeks of work and that annual salary, here's what your hourly rate is. Here's how much your time is actually worth. And so when you broke it down like that, it was like, oh, wow. Now when I'm giving my time to other pursuits, or to other people that aren't worthy of it, here's the cost. So when you put that in terms of playing and playing the field and the more women, the better, those myths that we as men try to fit into, think about how much time, how much money, even if it's not just the money that we're you know, using for dinner or, or movies or whatever we're doing to wine and dine, the amount of time that men spend, it's very tempting to think that that time is well spent, that money's well spent, but it's dangerous 
because what do we have to show for it? Seriously. I mean, it just blows my mind. And again, I'm not sitting up here saying to you or trying to present that I was the perfect dater. I mentioned in the book, I was not the perfect dater. Mm-hmm. However, for, for the men that are listening and for the women, see, men can only play if women allow them to. So as a man, yes, we got to do our work. But there's also for, for any woman listening, don't allow yourself knowingly because there can be a situation where a man can pull the wool over your eyes. But don't allow a man knowingly to manipulate you, to to be a part of his conquest. And so going back to temptation, it is tempting to want to uh, expose ourselves to these things that we think make ourselves a stronger man. But in essence, it makes us weaker. I, I couldn't agree more with that. And, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about suppression, right? Because you, you did a great deal of discussing suppression, which is defined as intentionally excluding from consciousness a thought or feeling. You mentioned in the book, when we suppress urges and feelings, they don't go away. They bubble and simmer and eventually they find an outlet and explode, right? So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I believe that suppressed urges persist. Uh, and as a matter of fact, the more they persist, the stronger they become. And I think one of the reasons why you see uh, the dog, as I call it, or lust, you know, is so pervasive is because there's so much suppression around this issue. And when and we as men, and listen, I want to be clear about something. Women also deal with this as well. Um, but I don't write the book from that standpoint. There's too many books out there that tell a woman what they got to do better. And I don't want to write that book. So do women, you know, hey man, right on. Do women suffer? I mean, you know, deal with lust. Do they have challenges? Of course they do. Um, However, I wanted to write from a male point of view because that's the experience that I've had. So when it comes to this issue of suppression, so often we don't like to admit that there's some an area where we feel weak. There's an area where we're struggling. There's an area where we don't know because as men, we're told you got to have the answers. And when you don't have the answers, who do you turn to? Think about it and say, okay, well, you know what? To the point you made about playing, it's like, well, man, I don't, I don't, this is not fulfilling, but who do I tell that to? Yeah. What man can I go and say, yo, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of getting all these women. They will look at you like you crazy. Crazy. Yeah. You right. And then some of those men might even call you out your name. So, so what do we do? We feel something and we suppress it. we try to remove it from consciousness. However, it's still there. It's still there. And not only is it there, but it grows. And these these lustful feelings, these lustful ideas, they don't go away. They grow unless we acknowledge them. When the dog starts to bark, what I call it, when an urge starts to come on. But hold on. Let me at least acknowledge that it's there. Because too often, especially when we aspire to be a better man, when this dog in us starts to get active, we start to feel guilt and shame. Oh, man, I should I should. You're, you're about to be uh, you're about to get married soon. Right. You're engaged. Right. Listen. <laughs> You, uh, I assume you love your fiance. Yes, very okay, much. Great. I love my wife. I've been married for seven years. It doesn't stop the dog from barking. Yep. But what happened was initially I thought that marriage would do it. I thought, oh, man, when marriage comes, I'm, I'm done with this lust. I ain't got to worry about it. No. Right. So I do, I do does not magically put the dog to sleep. So what happened initially was I was suppressing that I was having these feelings and thoughts. And the more that I would do that, the stronger they would become. And so I just had to stop judging myself. I had to stop feeling guilty. I had to stop being shameful and just say, you know what? Whether I like it or not, they're here. So what am I gonna do about these feelings and thoughts? 
What am I going to do about these unhealthy urges that want me to act against my marriage? What am I going to do about it? I first have to acknowledge that they're there. I have to stop suppressing them. And let me tell you, just by that act alone, the power of those urges started to diminish. I was acknowledging, hey, they're here. Okay, they're here. All right. I don't want them to be here, but they're here. And let me not freak out. Let me not, you know, get crazy. Let me just figure out, okay, what's the path forward? And that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book is to give tips and tools on, on how to do that and how to move forward. I agree. You know, me and my fiance were talking a lot about that, just calling it like it is. And, you know, you notice it loses power over you, right? And that's that's something that then you can move from there. And you actually mentioned in the book, writing in Scientific American, psychotherapist Tori Rodriguez says that acknowledging emotions like fear, regret, sadness helps us detoxify the bad experiences in our lives and supports overall psychological well-being. On the contrary, suppressing thoughts and feelings can even be harmful, cited a 2012 Florida State University study where they found that people who suppressed emotions have stronger stress responses in comparison to those who don't, right? And uh, men and women, for that matter, simply can't sustain long-term suppression of these urges, especially sexual urges, without healthy outlets. So, you know, and you did say yourself, you tried to guard yourself against these urges by denying their existence. So what were ways that you were able to actually conquer those? You would express them and then what would happen? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, it was just, it was acknowledging them. It was like, hey, these things are here, right? So let me not, you know, get crazy about it. I also have a whole chapter devoted to creating a safe space where you have somebody you can talk to. And, you know, so me, you know, talking to, you know, one of my, my boys that's in my safe space and saying, yo, dude, here's what I'm dealing with. Um, that that helped uh, a tremendous amount. The idea that as these things come on, that uh, these, these urges may come on, that it's not uh, an indictment of my love for my wife. It's not an indictment of who I am. It's just sometimes a byproduct of this flesh. And so being okay and understanding that, it really helped put it in perspective. So that, because sometimes when we start to judge ourselves, that we do ourselves the biggest disservice. You know, those judgments, you're a bad person, you're terrible, how could you, what is wrong with you? Those questions and those judgments of self don't help us live in a positive way. So these were some of the things that I started doing, you know, also having kind of radical honesty in my marriage to be able to say, hey, babe, here's what I'm dealing with. Um, you know, talking through issues, having the environment that if I felt like I needed to talk through something that I could, uh, praying help. Uh, and also, I want to say something that's very clear. And one of the reasons why I wrote the book and have so many different types of tips in the book uh, is because not one thing works. You know, urges are different, you know, so so a lot of times we're talking about sexual urges, but when it comes for the urge for more in life, you know, sometimes the urge for greed, the urge for money, uh, the urge for power, the urge for success, these can be as unhealthy as unhealthy sexual urges. So for me, you know, when it came to ambition, right, you know, I'm, I'm a very ambitious person, but sometimes that comes from the dog. And so what I had to recognize is to learn to appreciate what I have and to stop um, looking at other men and what they have as a barometer to feel good or worse about myself. This has really helped me navigate my urges because, you know, here I am, man, I'm on the 20th floor of an incredible building in Los Angeles. You know, I got a full staff. I got, you know, offices around, you know, in my suite here, probably five or six offices. You know, you come in every day, you think, oh, everything's great. But secretly inside, I'm like, this is not enough. You know, I'm not doing what this person's doing. I'm not doing what that man is doing. And I had to stop that. 
I had to say, you know what? Every time I get the urge to want to look outside of my own company and look at somebody else and say, I wish I had that, I stop and say, no, appreciate what you have. Be grateful for what you have. And these tips and these tools are what help me navigate different types of urges. There's not a one-stop shop. There's not a one-size-fits-all. You have to figure out what it is and apply the best tip and tool relative to what the urge is. That principle is something that I hold very near and dear to my heart. You know, Tom Brady actually says it. Don't compete with anybody other than yourself and who you were yesterday, right? When I was able to stop competing with others and looking at what so-and-so is doing and kind of looking at myself and just trying to make marginal adjustments, improving on who I was yesterday, you know, I was able to gain a lot more power back into my life just by not doing that, right? So, man, that's something that, that I feel like everybody can benefit from, just trying to not compete and compare with others, just compete with yourself and who you are. Uh, and it can make you a much more humble person too. Next, I do want to discuss guilt, remorse, and shame. You mentioned some really cool things. You quote Daphne Rose Kingma, the author of The Men We Never Knew. She says, men are taught point by point not to feel, not to cry, not to find words to express themselves. And, you know, I listened to one of your truth talks on Instagram and you actually mentioned men struggle because we hide. We don't talk. We suffer in silence and the things we keep inside us grow larger, right? Can you teach us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think it's really important to recognize this. And I think this is one of the reasons why, you know, so many women have challenges uh, in communication, you know, with men, especially men in their life. Because as men, we aren't taught necessarily how to love and we certainly aren't taught how to communicate. And as a result, we sometimes can hide ourselves from ourselves. Yeah. And then when somebody is uh, in our life that we want to open up to, we don't always know how to open up. And also, when we don't know what to do, most men aren't always as in touch as we may be in this conversation mm -hmm. with, with ourselves and feelings and whatnot. So a lot of times you're going to see a man, his inability to know what to do will come out through frustration. Yeah. It'll come out through anger. It, it'll come out through just, you know, leave me alone. You know, that because there's an insecurity there. So, you know, my advice is a lot of times when if a woman is in a relationship and that's what the symptom of the man, that the man that she wants says, okay, um, this is a wound for him. And let me do what I can do to create an environment where he feels safer to talk about whatever's going on. The other thing is I, I challenge every man to say, hey, listen, um, take step by step. I even put in the book, sometimes just write out what you would want to say. Write it out. Write it out. Because sometimes it's hard to just verbalize it if that's not your if you're not familiar with communicating that way. But just write out what you're feeling. And just by writing it out, you can even get out your phone, pull out the, the note, you know, you know, your notes and just write out your notes. Because what that does is it begins the muscle of communicating. So you no longer hide yourself from yourself because the true path to success and my definition of success is peace. So the true path to peace starts with being able to communicate uh, and communicate what's really going on, communicate what's really uh, happening. So I do agree with, uh, with you know, Daphne wrote in that book in that, book that um, you know, it's very, the men we lost, it's so important for us to learn the, the power of communication and the practice of communication. And you mentioned the silence, it's killing men. You know, according to the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention, suicide isn't just the 10th leading cause in the U.S., but men in the U.S. commit suicide three and a half times more than yeah. women, right? And one thing you mentioned that I loved, you said 
you talked about guilt, remorse, and shame. They're actually healthy responses to doing something harmful to ourselves or others, right? So what did you mean by that? Yeah, so what I mean by that, and I talk about this, um, you know, in the section of the book where I discuss normalization, um, I'm not express explanation uh, or rationalization and then normalization. And so what I mean by that is that when we do something that we shouldn't have done, um, guilt and shame and remorse are, are appropriate responses for behavior that is inconsistent with who we are and what we know we should be doing. They are an alarm system. So um, I talk about you know explanation, uh, uh, rationalization, normalization as a way to explain how men can become divorced from their own behavior. Like they begin to say, okay, wait, how could such a man that is so great in the public have such a blind spot to his own behavior in private? And so I use this idea to explain it. So when we do something that's not right, guilt, remorse, and shame can almost sometimes act like an alarm system. Like, wait a minute, hey, you know, you shouldn't have done that. Uh, you shouldn't have said that. Mm, that's not quite right. Now, a lot of times uh, when that alarm system starts to go off in our spirit, we don't always know how to handle it. So to me, the appropriate response to guilt or shame, the guilt or shame is to say, hey, you know what? Right, okay, right, I did that. I shouldn't have done it, and I'm going to work on it the next time to not do it again. Healthy response. Okay, healthy response. But a lot of times, we don't like when our conscience starts to act up. We don't like when the alarm, internal alarm system goes off. So what do we do? We want it to stop. So a lot of times, we go through this process. We explain, well, what just happened? Why is this alarm going off? Why am I feeling guilty? Why am I feeling shameful? Why am I feeling remorseful? We explain the details of the event. And then what we do is we begin to rationalize the behavior. Well, it's okay because I'm entitled to it. It's okay because, you know, she was a little tipsy. I was a little tipsy, but she knew what was going to happen. It's okay because I have this position, and along with this position, I can do a few things. People should turn their eyes. Like, whatever it is, we begin to rationalize it. And when we rationalize it over time, the internal alarm system stops ringing to the degree where negative behavior that should be alarming us now is normalized. It becomes a part of who we are and what we do to the degree where we no longer can detect that it is unhealthy and it isn't right. So this is why, going back to your, your, your prompt, this is why when we feel guilt, when we feel remorse, we feel shame, instead of trying to move past it, first identify where is it coming from. Acknowledge it, accept it, and move on so that we don't find ourselves rationalizing and normalizing behavior that we should detest. Man, so challenging anything unhealthy in our life that has become normalized, it's a necessary step to taking control, right? And that, that's just, it's brilliant. I'm so thankful that you share that message with all of us, man. We all need it, right? So thank you. Uh, next, I do want to talk about vulnerability because I feel like it plays such a big role in trying to make this transition. So, you know, you mentioned Brene Brown, uh, who studied vulnerability, shame, and empathy for over 20 years. Her work is just brilliant. Her research, it led her to believe that vulnerability equals weakness in the eyes of men. The preferred alternative is to block out those feelings of inadequacy and uncertainty, right? And a man was actually quoted saying, since I didn't know how to handle my shame, I buried it. I did anything I could to not feel it. I denied it. I distracted myself. This, this behavior can lead to self-punishment. Even more bad choices can be made, right? So can you speak a little bit more on that? 
Yeah, it's it's uh, it's 1000% true. And I think the more that, um, you know, we bury shame and the more that we don't acknowledge it, I, mean, I think that's why you see, you know, so many men um, acting out. You know, I think a lot of times when you see alpha male, you know, behavior, it's because there's a lot of shame underneath that. And there's a lot of insecurity underneath that. And instead of acknowledging it, a lot of times as men, we'll go to the extreme. We'll 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 try. Yeah, right. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I feel shameful about who I am, what I am. I don't like what I am. I don't like what I'm becoming. But instead of letting anyone know that, you know what? Tonight, I'm going to go and get 10 numbers. Tonight, you know, I'm going to drink even more than the last night. I'm going to go, you know, spend more money on more kicks. Why? Because I'm trying to drown out what I really feel, what's really, really going on. And I do think this is why you see, you know, so many men and the suicide rate among men going up. And this is why, you know, you see so many of, of the challenges that we're seeing in the culture, because there is this shame that is being buried. Um, one, because a lot of times we don't know how to deal with it. And, and two, we don't recognize just because there's shame, it doesn't mean that we then have to uh, beat ourselves up. And that's one of the things that I've had to learn. Uh, and, I, and that's one of the reasons why I want to write the book. I'm like, look, yeah, listen, I'm not, I don't have it all together. You know, I'm not perfect, um, but I want to do my work and I'm committed to doing my work. And uh, and I don't want to have any shame around that. And, you know, even people who know me or know my persona and whatnot, like I wanted to um, create a shorter distance between who I am as a person and my persona, mm -hmm. because I really want the two to be one. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book. And there have been a lot of things that I've dealt with in life where I'm like, man, I'm ashamed. I can't believe I did that. But I say, OK, you know what? I did it, you know, yeah. better or worse. It happened. I'm not proud of it. And guess what? I'm going to do better on the next one. Because in that way, you, you you take the sting out of shame instead of wallowing in it, right? It's like you wallow in it, you 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 go down this rabbit hole of self-judgment, self-loathing. Well, you know what? When you acknowledge it, the sting comes out. It's like, okay, and move on. It's true accountability. And, you know, I'm actually guilty of a lot of the things that you said. In my past, I was trying to be that alpha male and I was trying to assert my dominance by doing all these things. But really, I believe choosing not to be vulnerable when I was younger, it caused me to carry around broken pieces from my childhood, you know? And because I never discussed it, I didn't want to seem weak. And one of the coolest things, I have a mentor who's a physician and she was teaching us about the ACE study just like two weeks ago, man. And that was the, so you talk about the ACE study, the CDC Kaiser Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, right? It was a public health study, and it showed that childhood trauma, physical, sexual, emotional abuse, or witnessing the abuse of others, in addition to neglect or losing a parent, dramatically increases the risk of chronic disease, mental illness, being a victim of violence, or acting violently in life. And you mentioned what we call toxic masculinity today is men acting out of their own brokenness, right? So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, because I believe the box breaks us in that box of manhood, you know, that box of uh, what people tell us a man's supposed to be. Uh, none of us can be it. None of us are Superman. None of us uh, are, are devoid of emotion. Uh, none of us um, provide all the time, are strong all the time. Uh, so that box that people say, this is what men should be as we grow up, you know, whenever we don't fit in the box, most of the time we we are met with violence. Um, and uh, you know, when I was a kid, I was um, a part of the Oakland Men's Project, which really did a lot of training. And I talk about this in the book that helped me understand so much of what was going on with me. They were the first people to expose me to this idea of the box. And so, when we don't fit the box, it breaks us because somewhere along the way, a man that we may have loved or trusted in our life 
or that we looked up to may have said to us, stop crying. Don't be a sissy. Don't be a wimp. Get it together. What's wrong with you? And, and, and when we hear that, it breaks us because then we're like, well, OK, well, um, who are we supposed to be? What are we supposed to do? And so that brokenness in us is what sometimes causes us to act out. I mean, you know, uh, the, the saying, you know, hurt people, hurt people mm-hmm. doesn't justify uh, the hurt. But I do know that there's a lot of pain that we as men carry. And sometimes if we don't do our work, we find ourselves perpetuating the very pain that we can't stand and the very pain that we're trying to to get over. So this is why I articulate that in the book to bring awareness that we do have some brokenness, that we are carrying pain and we need to be in touch with that so that we don't become the perpetuators of the same pain that we're trying to heal from. Amen. You know, you say hurt people, hurt people. And I just watched the R. Kelly docuseries, one of the most recent public figures who came out and he said he was sexually abused for many years between the ages of eight and 14. And he's he's one example of how the abused can become the abuser. Did you did you have an opportunity to watch the docuseries? Yeah, I watched all six episodes. What's your thoughts about that, man? Yeah, you know, it's it's deeply sad. I mean, it's deeply sad. And, uh, you know, not only, I mean, do they give that backstory about him and, and you know, while, you know, it explains a lot, I mean, it certainly doesn't justify any of it. Amen. Um, I think the challenge is that, you know, when you have that level of, of brokenness, you know, due to sexual abuse, and then you combine that with an incredible gift, and then you combine that with money and fame, uh, it's a toxic, uh, potentially deadly combination for anybody. And it's, um, it's really sad, you know, what, uh, you know, it, it appears that he has done all the lives that have uh, been affected negatively, all the women, you know, that have been abused and assaulted. It, it is devastating, maybe sick to my stomach, you know. And I think that my hope is that, you know, through this documentary, that, uh, you know, whatever was done in the dark will come to light. Um, and whatever, you know, he has sown in that regard, uh, he will reap. And I also feel like, you know, one of the things that I wrote in the book, is that you know we we live in a culture that profits off of lust. Um, we live in a culture that that profits off of enticing and inciting uh, lust in men and women. So you know beyond just the muting of R. Kelly, my hope is that what will happen is we will begin to mute anything that demeans and degrades women. We will begin to mute anything in the culture that that uh, entices lust to the degree where it be, creates detrimental behavior uh, in men and women. And my hope is that, you know, this moment will get us to stop turning a blind eye, that just because it's entertaining doesn't mean that it's good for us. And a lot of times this was this abuse was able to persist because of the power of entertainment. Yeah. The power of entertainment that was so strong that sometimes a blind eye was turned to what was done. Uh, I believe that there was a time when a man's successes could cover his excesses. But now that time is over. And as and if you have excesses, your successes can no longer cover that. So it's important to us to do our work, get the help that we need in order to be the men we were created to be. And part of that is to look at the culture. And as a culture, as consumers of the culture, even though, yes, I'm a content creator and I'm a producer, I'm also a consumer, too. And so I have to make a committee of one to look at what I'm to watch, what I'm watching, what I'm listening to, what I'm voting for as it relates to entertainment choices and to say, hey, you know what? It doesn't mean everything has to be Pollyanna. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that uh, my hope is that from this, you know, surviving R. Kelly uh, moment, 
that we will begin to look at the culture at large and begin to make have a more discerning eye and ear towards what we choose to watch and listen to and anything that does not represent the culture that we want, that we would no longer listen or watch it. J. Cole said that. Have you thought about your impact? You know, powerful men using their words in ways that can influence people that might hurt other people or hurt themselves, you know, and yeah. you being in the position you are in Hollywood, I'm glad that you're going to be that man who's going to create that content that, that can kind of filter through a better message, an inspiring message, because at the end of the day, you know, we have many younger generations that are coming up behind us. And I think as you get older, that becomes one of the most important things is the legacy you leave behind for the younger generations, right? So Absolutely. Uh, I'm thankful you say that. And that, that leads us into discussing men's roles as leaders in relationships, right? You mentioned, you talk about that in the book. So can you talk about it a little bit, how men can become better leaders in relationships? Yeah, uh, men can become better leaders in relationships by first becoming a leader of self. Um, because too often as men, we're trying to lead others and we haven't led ourselves. And, uh, and to me, true leadership starts with looking in the mirror and making an honest assessment of where am I falling short? What's the work I got to do? Um, who do I want to be and, and uh, who am I now? And the two cannot, aren't always the same. You know, who I want to be and, and who am I now? There can be a distance between who I want to be and what I'm doing and who I am. So I think it's important for men to learn how to lead ourselves. Uh, how are we managing this dog? How are we mastering uh, uh, this dog and dealing with lust? How are we dealing with self-control? Uh, how are we dealing with our urges? How are we dealing with our, our impulses? Are we leading by service? Are we leading by love? And when we begin to, to learn to lead ourselves, leading others becomes a, a byproduct of self-leadership. Uh, so often we think of leadership as how well you lead others and what successes you're able to facilitate in other people's lives. Uh, but I believe we have done that so much that Men and society has, have bought into this notion that uh, true leadership is what happens in public. And as a result, we see so many men who have had public success, but they have failed personally because they've been looking at the external at the, at the expense of the internal. So male leadership starts with what happens in the mirror and becoming a leader of self. So, you know, that's so perfect because that transition straight into making our private life more beautiful than the public life. You wrote, as men... We can't just focus on succeeding publicly. We must also succeed personally. History is filled with examples of men that were public successes, but personal failures. So what are some practical tips for people out there uh, on how they can make their private life more beautiful than their public life? Yeah, you know, uh, making your private life more beautiful, you know, starts with one, accepting yourself. Yeah. I mean, it just, it starts with, you know, I had to, as a man, accept who I am. And, uh, you know, I'm a middle child of three boys and, you know, growing up as a middle child, um, I didn't like who I was. You know, I didn't really have a place. I didn't feel like I fit. And then not only that, like I, I have always just been me and tried to be me to a degree. Uh, but in school, man, they would, you know, call me a square and an L7 and all these different things. And, and so a lot of times I, you know, I, it's not like I hated who I was, but I didn't necessarily like who I was. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, part of what I had to realize is like, okay, wait, you know, I've just got to start accepting myself. I just have to start accepting myself, loving myself and appreciating who God has created me to be. And, and it starts right there. You know, the other thing that I had to do was to say, I can't create a persona that I know is different than the person. Yeah. Wow. So I'm like, okay, 
Because there are a lot of times we can do things that we know, okay, this will look good in public, but this is not really who I am. This is not really what I think. And so I had to, and I think anyone out there, if you're trying to navigate this personal success, uh, you know, work on, you know, being who you are. So you accept who you are and then work on being who you are, no matter where you are. You got to be who you are, no matter where you are. And that right there is when the public and the personal success begin to link arms and begin to, to merge. Because if I am who I am, no matter where I am, then I don't have to worry about who I said, what I said to this person in that situation. And then, you know, because so many times we have all these alternate identities, depending on who we're hanging with, what environment we're in. You know, some people think we're, you know, a wholesome dude and other dudes think we're, we're the dude that wilds out because sometimes we'll create all these different identities just to fit into all these different groups. So in order to have personal success, it starts with being who you are, where you are. Uh, and then in the third part is just having patience, you know, like like who you want to become is going to take time and what you want to do on the earth is going to take time. So don't be so focused and so thirsty for public success, wanting it immediately, uh, thirsting for it, wanting it so badly that you're willing to do anything to get it, even if it means compromising your integrity and your character. Have some patience. Give yourself time to become who you are and give yourself time to do what it is you're called to do in the earth. Man, you just amazing, bro. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, I wanna I do wanna talk about sexuality and sexual energy. You know, I mentioned to you that uh practicing celibacy was one of the most life-changing things that I ever did. And you know, about a year and a half into it, I read something that you wrote about the divine nature of a man, it unlocks when he's able to control his sex drive, right? And one of the things you wrote in your book, it was so mind-blowingly beautiful because you said, what's a more creative act in the universe than creating a child? And, you know, and that sex is a creative act, but when you're practicing holding that back and being celibate, you can transmute that into energy that can allow you to be more creative. How long have you been doing that and how did you find that out? Like, how did you start doing that? Uh, you know, I mean, listen, when I was dating, um, you know, I, um, I was waiting until about, I think I was 18, 17, 18 years old. Uh, and then I stopped waiting, you know, and lost my virginity in senior year of high school. And then um, I wasn't celibate until 23. So for about six years. Uh, so then when I became celibate in 23, I didn't get married until I was 33. You know, I had no idea it was going to take that long. And so. Man, I just I I had to find something to do positive. Okay. <laughs> let me let me channel all this energy into 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 doing as much as I can do in life. And so I think that's where a lot of my drive came from, which is like, all right, you know, let me write a book, let me preach, let me work on these moves. Like it just came like, okay, I have all this energy and I don't want to, you know, break my commitment. So let me just find positive things to do. And then when I was, um, you know, writing the weight and then also writing this book. You know, I just found that there was so much research to support that um, and the power of, uh, you know, using that that sexual energy, you know, transmuting it, so to speak, into something positive, into creativity. And uh, and it really is a very positive and dynamic use that I believe it'll it'll transform anybody's life that chooses to try it. And you, as you said, man, you've been doing it for four years and, and look what you're doing. And it's it's amazing, you know, even doing this podcast, it, given where you are in your career is, is a massive undertaking. And I think a lot of it has to do with that 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 commitment and uh, using this energy in a, in a positive and uh, you know transformative way. You know, you talk about Napoleon Hill and using it in a in a less positive way, and you kind of get into the concept of masturbation. 
And, you know, I know athletes, particularly boxers, like they'll abstain from masturbating for long periods of time to increase their focus and drive. So what can you tell us? Because a lot of our followers actually ask about masturbation, whether it's healthy, whether it's not. Yeah, you know, and I, I talk about this in the way, and I was talking about this in the truth of uh, truth about men, is that, you know, when you look at it from a spiritual perspective, I believe it's a gray area, you know, that there is not a, a clear uh, yay or nay. So at the end of the day, I think everyone has to navigate this issue, um, you know, with a lot of consideration and a lot of care. You know, what I talk about is, you know, the dangers of pornography, uh, the dangers of fantasy, and the dangers of when you uh, masturbate, you know, that leading uh, feeding the dog, so to speak, and, and allowing the lust to grow. So this is an area where what I love about teaching in this area is so often people look for, tell me what to do and what not to do. Yeah. And in this area, I don't do that. Good. Okay. You got to lean in. You got to wrestle with this. You, and I don't mean you personally, I mean, whoever is listening, <laughs> you know, it's because it's, this is an area where you really got to process like, okay, how do I navigate this? What do I do? Because there's a lot of times when, you know, you're trying to navigate this issue, right? And you're saying, okay, what is healthy? What is not healthy? And I, what I can tell you is that the fantasy world and pornography is not healthy. I can tell you that. I can tell you the path you're going to go down. But it's important, really, really important that I'm not going to take a hard line, especially where the Bible doesn't, you know, and I know that's an unpopular opinion for some people in the faith community. But when I've researched the scriptures, um, I don't find support for yay or nay. But what I do find support is, you know, what, what you think you will become. Um, so it's very, very important. I always say that. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Words of Buddha. Buddha said that what you think you become. So it's, it's yeah. the truth. So it's very important relative to this issue of masturbation to manage it. That's why I entitled one of the sections in the book, manage masturbation. Um, right. it requires thought. It requires you to think through it. It requires for you to process it, you know, for yourself and to wrestle with this issue because uh, it is, it's an issue. It can consume so many uh, lives. It can consume time. It can consume mind share. And so it's very, very important to think about those things before engaging in it. And you mentioned pornography. Like you put some stats in your book. That blew my mind, man. Like, so you, you said NBC News. Pornography is the yes. biggest sector in the entertainment industry. Yes. Estimated net worth of $97 billion. So just to put that into perspective, uh, in 2016, all films released made $11 billion, right? So, And you said in the book, if that doesn't blow your mind, try this stat. Porn sites receive more traffic each month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter put together. Put together. Dude, dude. It's, it's This is why. But this is one of the reasons why I wrote the book is because this issue, because sometimes we even talk about, we think of lust and we think, oh, you know, it's this, um, you know, thing we don't want to talk about. It's, uh, you know, what's done in the shadows on the table. But I'm like, no, what we don't realize is that this issue is massive. Yeah. Every man, every woman deals with it. So why do we stop, you know, being in the dark? Let's tell the truth about it and figure out how to deal with it. Because at the end of the day, those stats and the money around this issue show that how big of an issue it is. Man, you know, that, that takes us to self-control. You said something, no discipline, no destiny. And one of the things that motivated me to stay true to who I was becoming was I would think about my dreams. I have such big aspirations. And, you know, if I if I leave things untied in my own personal discipline, then I can't see my dreams coming true. You know, and you know, you spoke about Will Smith being one of your mentors for many decades. And 
I just have to ask, what are some cool things you learned from him, man? (laughs) (laughs) Uncle Will, man, uh, I've learned a lot from him quite a bit. I mean, I've learned the the power of committing to the process and uh, letting the process take you where you're supposed to be. And that's the process of life. It's the process of success. It's even the process in a project. Uh, You know, when we put the process uh, as our number one priority, we then allow the process to to reach, to, to take us to the logical conclusion. Because sometimes we're trying to control the process, mm-hmm. but there's a difference between trying to control it and committing to it. And mm-hmm. so I've learned the power of committing to the process. I've also learned that, you know, success sometimes isn't a mile, it's an inch. And, uh, you know, that last inch can be the hardest air, the hardest part of the journey is to get where you're trying to go, that last little, you know, bit. So you gotta stay committed uh, all the way through. I've learned that uh, from him that it's not always important of, uh, how hard you work, but how long you work. Most people can work hard, but not very many people can work hard and work long. Uh, And I'm not there yet. And so those words echo in my mind. I'm like, man, work hard and work long. Because there are moments, man, where I'm like, oh, man, look, I'm I'm just writing these books. I'm done. I'm not going to do it. Forget about it. Uh, It's too much. It keeps me staying in the game, pursuing what I'm pursuing, staying committed to the process, because there are many times when I think like, okay, I'm I'm quitting or I'm gonna figure out something else because it's too hard. Wow, that's beautiful. So before we transition to the last segment of our show, I wanted to read to our audience what you wrote in your epilogue on leadership. It was so powerful and moving for me. So leadership, nothing matters more to a young man of any age than how the men around him act. If we want boys to grow up treating people with respect, we need to show them how it's done every day. Let's be respectful, loving, considerate, and kind to everyone we come into contact with. Deal with conflict with reason and compassion, not anger. Kids see more than we realize. Your sons are watching. Man, that's that's one hell of a way to end a book. <laughs> right, and... Oh, man. So our, our last segment, we have our followers on Instagram submit questions. Yeah. We have so many questions submitted to you, and um, we are going to do five. Right. So we are going to get straight into it. We had J underscore CERN 13. He asked, how does a man in his 20s balance his sex drive in a healthy way? Yeah, so, um, you know, the good news is we've, we've covered a little bit of this, uh, you know, Jay. Um, one of the ways to balance it in a healthy way is to acknowledge it. Um, to not be surprised by it, to understand that, uh, you know, you're going to have a strong sex drive. Uh, however, to not feel hopeless that you just have to give into it. You know, this is why it comes into mastering the dog. You know, when you master the dog, when you put love and control of lust, meaning, you know, love of yourself, uh, love of your of where you want to go in life, you then begin to position yourself to be able to be successful. Um, one of the key areas in, you know, not allowing your sex drive to ruin and run your life, uh, two things. One, just because you have an, an urge doesn't mean it has to be satisfied. And a lot of times as men, we're never taught about that. You know, it's like, oh, I feel horny. I mean, it's like, I do something about it. Well, no, you don't. You know, every time you're hungry, you eat. It's like, okay, no, I, I can't eat right now. You manage it. So part of it is understanding you're going to have these urges. Don't don't be surprised by them. But also learn that, you know what, just because I have an urge doesn't mean it has to be fulfilled. And I think this is really important. And the other part of it is taking that energy and putting it into something creative. You know, what's the business you want to start? Where do you want to go in life? And, and I'm telling you, like, one of the reasons why, you know, I've been able to do so much at a young age is because of taking this sexual energy and putting it into in creative things. 
it's it's the reason why I've been able to do it, and that's one of the reasons why. And you I'm look 25. You look like <laughs> 25 years old, so you're doing something right, man. <laughs> Listen, we stayed at the gym, you know. We try to yeah. eat right, partner, all that good stuff. That's amazing. So next question, Courage. She asked, why do men play games and hurt you? Why do they first try to get you and then hurt you? You know, because um, men are men are broken. Uh, men are broken. Um, there are a lot of men who, who have learned or believe that it makes them a man to play. But I talk about in the book, you know, boys play, men commit. And at the end of the day, if you're dealing with a man who is playing, that is not a man I would encourage you to stay with long term. It's very, very important. I also want women to feel empowered. You have a choice. Don't think that you just have to accept whatever from a man just to be with a man. No, I'd rather you be alone for a season and have your integrity, your self-respect, and your heart intact than to be with a man who cannot value who you are and what you've been created to do. So most men do that because they bought into a false idea of manhood. And I believe most men that do that are in some form of pain themselves. Doesn't make it right, but you ask the question why, and that's why I believe why. Amen to that. So LPN 2019 Working Class asks, did Megan get at you or did you get at her? <laughs> she got at me. Let the record. Y'all heard it here first. <laughs> it's true. No, that's a fact. I'm not, it's not hyperbole, man. She knew I was going to be her husband before I even knew she was going to be my wife. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, Megan, Megan got at me and, uh, cause I never, I, I, I was, you know, I wasn't sure. I was like, wait, she's an actress and she's so famous. I don't know. But anyway, I got the memo. And eventually, uh, you know, I mean, it's so ironic. You're asking about Megan and she's like literally FaceTime me right now. So, oh, that's, so amazing. <laughs> wow. that's crazy. Man, God bless you for that. That's amazing. So uh, Malika QB, she asked, what would you say to women who blame themselves for their partner's infidelity? Oh, stop it. That's what I would say. Stop it. Let me tell you two things. One, uh, a woman cannot master uh, the dog of a man. And a woman cannot hold her responsible for the choice that that man chose to make. One of the things that, that keeps this behavior being perpetuated is that too often women bear the brunt for behavior that men should be accountable and responsible for. So if you are a woman and you think it's your fault that he cheated, don't, don't do that. Because what happens is if you bear the guilt and, and shame of something that he did, then you could become a codependent in a situation that he is required to fix. Amen to that. So lastly, you know, we asked this question to each of our guests that end up on our podcast. It's what does medspiration mean to you? Um, I love that. You know, um, I, it means to me, you know, medical inspiration. And I think that sometimes, you know, especially when you go to a doctor, you know, it's not the most inspiring thing. You know, sometimes <laughs> you many people don't like going to the doctor because it's the antithesis of inspiration. So, uh, you know, when I hear the word, you know, med aspiration, it, it, it's almost like it's trying to demystify, um, you know, what it means, uh, the word medicine or medical, you know, what health means, you know, it's trying to find the inspiration in health. And that's something I'm all about. That's beautiful. Man. So again, to our audience out there, get this book, man. This book changed my life. And Devon Franklin, you're one of my heroes. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time and just you coming on this show. So you know, what's the best way for our followers to reach you? And, you know, what are you going to be doing the next few months now? Yeah, so um, best ways for your followers to reach me. Um, I'm on Instagram and at Devon Franklin, uh, D-E capital V-O-N-F-R-A-N-K-L-I-N. I'm also on Twitter at the same handle. 
I'm on Facebook at Devon Franklin Official. You can also go to my website, DevonFranklin.com. And through all, you know, all these different mediums, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to connect with you. I have an, uh, a mentor mail email group that goes out uh, every week. You can sign up for that on my website. And uh, where I'll be is I'll be on the road, you know, promoting this book, uh, The Truth Ooh. About Men, drops on February 5th. So I'm really excited about that. And I'll be on the road promoting that. I also have a new movie called Breakthrough, which comes out April 17th. So uh, I'm out here, you know, trying to uh, just enlift, uplift and inspire the world through this content and uh, praying. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I thought it was powerful. If you guys loved it, please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Medspiration is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, a public charity. The more you help our podcast grow, the more people we're able to help. It is our mission to serve in underserved and underprivileged areas all over the world. So be sure to click subscribe and rate us five stars. The bigger we get, the more people we're able to help, guys. So thank you so much for all the support out there. And again, a big thank you to our sponsor, Caribbean Medical University. Caribbean Medical University has partnered with Medspiration to bring you a once-in-a-lifetime discount. You can visit cmumed.org forward slash Medspiration and enter the discount code MDSPR to have your entire application fee waived. That's a $75 value. Apply today and see if medicine is in your future. Let's make a commitment together, guys, and attempt to live a healthier lifestyle mentally physically and spiritually and as always you know what time it is it's time to get out there and do something med spiring <laughs>